91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Everybody and welcome to the spooky Halloween episode Ooh. of our movie night, where we talk about the scariest movies we can think of. This week, we're talking about the Adams Family <laughs> from 1993. Uh, Scott, this is one that I feel like it's insane we haven't already gotten to on a Halloween. But uh, well, I, you know, I feel like since we can only do one Halloween episode a year, the fact that we didn't do this in year one. Well, I mean, I what did we even do in year one? Space Invaders. Oh, you, <laughs> yeah, you punished me. <laughs> well, I think, honestly, here's how I remember it. I think for a really long time we kept debating if this would count as a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie. Because it starts at Christmas and ends at Halloween. <laughs> but, I, but I think we ultimately were like, it's the Addams Family. Let's just do it as a Halloween movie. <laughs> I think that ultimately we're going to do it as a Christmas movie, too. Any opportunity to talk about the Addams Family is just... My best day ever. Yeah, and it's also worth noting that this movie, in just a few weeks of release, will also be celebrating an anniversary. Yeah. Which is part of the reason why I think we finally just said, fuck it, let's do it. Because The Addams Family was released on November 22nd, 1991, was when this movie was originally released. So we're doing it almost a month from its 30-year anniversary. But that gives you the opportunity to make it a Nightmare Before Christmas-esque thing, which I know isn't really a Tim Burton movie. He's just a producer. But, you know, like, you can have your ha Halloween 
and Christmas too. It's worth bringing up Tim Burton because this movie was originally supposed to be a Tim Burton movie, and then he walked away from it. This was, I'm trying to, I'm pretty sure this was my introduction to the Adams Family. I think it was most people's introduction to the Adams Family because, like, we weren't big New Yorker readers in the, <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Yeah, I mean, and think about the fact that the the Adams Family TV show I don't think it had nearly as much reach as the Munsters in in later generations because like I I knew about the Munsters before I about knew about the Adams Family and I think the Munsters was a slightly better show like they both were bad cheesy comedies yeah I think the Munsters owned that it was a bad cheesy comedy a lot more than the Adams Family did yeah. like it's one of those shows where you have Herman Monster tell a really shitty pun and then laugh his ass <laughs> off for for a minute and it's like. You don't put that in a show because you think your joke is so good. You put that joke in your show because you're acknowledging that this character isn't as funny as he thinks. Yeah. The the fun thing about, you know, kind of contrasting the Munsters and the Addams Family is that the Munsters are monsters that want to be humans and the Addams Family are humans that want to be monsters. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's it's a very, brilliant. very, very simplistic. But it it works. It sums up the tone of those shows because the the monsters is such a wholesome show yeah. at its core. Yeah. Whereas like the Adams Family is still a wholesome show, but it is it is way more demented, fucked up, and horrifying in the Adams Family house than it is in the monsters. Yeah, home, yeah, because they're just moment. the 1950s, or I guess it would have been 60s when they, they were doing the monsters. Clear family. And they're just trying to fit in. And the Adams family are like, normalcy. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> I, you know, I think that that's what's so fun about the, the Adams family films is that they, I, they kind of distilled what was happening in the, the Chaz Adams comic strips and then really amplified it to extreme levels where, you know, we have Morticia cutting the tops of roses off and you yeah. know wednesday being like an atheist and there's so much going on there that i just love it's just so it's, fun it's a wild it's a wild th- and like but i think that people let i don't think in the 60s anybody was watching the adams family and being like that's relationship goals like that's like what i want out of life but like the adams family in the movies like Gomez and Morticia are fucking sexy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, have you seen like that TikTok just... that's going around? That's like that that woman who says, I didn't realize, but the Adams family was supposed to be the inverse of the like 1950s marriage where mom and dad or the husband and wife, whatever, don't care about each other. And then and instead they, you know, basically can't keep each other, keep their hands off of each other. And I haven't known peace ever since you know like it's <laughs> yeah great yeah i mean but th- but there's that element of it so like you're watching that and there's so many people that like want that morticia gomez relationship but they got to put the like, more are... the, they got to put the gomez work in if they want the morticia yeah exactly but i also think that it captures like like i'm not one of those people it's like i want to grow up to be gomez adams you know what i mean like i i think that <laughs> I that's like a very <laughs> Like, I think that that's just a very, like, specific type of person. I don't fall into that. But what I will say, there is a moment in this movie where I have never related to Gomez Adams more in my entire life, which is when they are at the kids' variety show 
and they have to sit through all of these other kids' acts, and they just have a look like they want to kill themselves. Because now that I'm at that age where most of my friends have kids who are about five or six, and I feel obligated to go to dance recitals, it is, like, torture to sit through, like, the 30 performances before my niece goes up there so I can just yep. leave. Yeah, that's like. that's American culture in, in a nutshell as well. But I don't think that we have any sort of redress for the way that talent shows are put together because, you know, we got to go through that. You, you know, we yeah. it was like, okay, you watch my shitty friend's shitty talents and then you get to watch my shitty talents, but you love me because I'm your son or whatever. And yeah, we, I, I don't you know. know. The, the dinosaurs really captured it beautifully <laughs> with I'm the baby, gotta love me. Like that's essentially every child in America <laughs> for the first 20 years of their life. I, you know, the fact <laughs> I, that I just laughed at a dinosaur's reference on horror movie night is truly the, the, the horror of my life right now. <laughs> One of the things that I wanted to bring up about this and i'm actually gonna also kind of say scott i'm shocked at you but like the score to adam's family outside of just the like the music the opening credit scene that score is fucking awesome oh yeah the music in this is fantastic and i want to say that i i think that i i got something from the Adams Family, one of the Adams Family video games, and I put it in one of the old console crash releases. When I do those mashups, it's it's impossible for me to remember what everything is. So. I, I think I want a console crash album. Yes, the answer is yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. If I, somebody wants it, I'll do it. <laughs> I think that like what could be really interesting as you're like grasping at straws at this point for like okay what's the next theme gonna be? Bro, do you like, think I'm grasping should... straws? <laughs> I'm not. I know you've got a laundry list. I, I would love, similarly to how our boys in Punchline did, like, songs from 1995 mm-hmm. or 1994, like, I almost want you to just start doing, like, the sounds of 1991, and you pick, like, four random movies that have dope-ass scores that came out in 1991 and just, like, metal-fy them. But that's not, <laughs> that's not that different from what I would want to do anyway, and I will I will point something out, and I don't know if this is just that ghost of a, a memory in your brain but the, the the first console crash record the first the the, the only full length i've actually done as console crash was originally going to be called 1991 because oh, all I of the games that. from it are from 1991. Are from I specific, I only picked games and Nintendo games that were released in 1991. I also wish that this was like cuz i don't think this was Danny Elfman doing the score no. either. Like, I was like, man, if you could do, like, a Danny Elfman album or a Tim Burton album or something where it's, like, Beetlejuice and the Ice Dance from, like... I mean, uh, I think that you're expecting I know that you too tried, much you, from me because well, I Danny Elfman tried Beetlejuice and you were like, this is fucking insane. Playing <laughs> like, that, the arrangement that I was working on, I'll get there, but I have to gain skill you know like it's danny elfman you know it's funny yesterday i was listening to oingo the best of oingo boingo and i've never actually listened to the best of oingo boingo and it's it's, there even then it's it's there but it's just a it's just a kernel of an idea of how talented he could be and i'm not saying that he was held back by the rest of oingo boingo or what it's just that there is something herculean that changed inside of Danny Elfman when he started doing scores, and I don't know what it is. Well, I I think that you also have to look at it 
from the standpoint of like you look at what Oingo Boingo. So it was originally the Mystic Knights of Oingo mm -hmm. Boingo, which is like the band essentially that we're getting in Forbidden Zone, where it's yeah. like very vaudeville, very over the top, very like in your face. Then the brother is like, I'm done doing music. I really want to focus on doing films. My brother Danny will take over the band. And it was like in a matter of like two years, Danny was like, bring in the synth. You know, and it's it's cool to think about like that, that some of the sounds that they were because I would consider them kind of second wave ska meets new wave. Yeah, like you remove those synths and replace them with horns and they are a like Dead Man's Party could become a ska song I, very I, easily. And I don't want to <laughs> think that in the vastness of the Internet that someone hasn't, someone hasn't made already. like a yeah. totally killer ska version of it. Because really before I knew much about Oingo Boingo, the only song I knew was Dead Man's Party. And because it was everywhere at Halloween when I was growing up, and that's the, that's all I knew about Oingo Boingo. When you listen to it, I mean, when I listen to it now, I still think that it's a basically a ska song. I think of them as a ska yeah. band. I mean, I think of them as a ska slash new wave band, kind of post-punk almost. Oingo Boingo is also one of those bands, man, we are, we'll get back to the Adams Family listeners Listen, in just a second. we're doing a long form <laughs> Halloween episode today. Yeah. I think Oingo Boingo is one of those bands where like, you could very easily be like, yeah, you know, they had that one song, Dead Man's Party. And then as you like dig into their, especially the songs that they did for movies, they had so many songs that you remember for movies. Like obviously Weird Science. Yep is like another big one. But for me, it's goodbye, goodbye oh, at the so end good. of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I'm like, man, what a fucking jam of a song. Like, yeah. I think Danny Elfman having an orchestra at his at his behest, as opposed to just like a normal band ensemble, is not that different than like any time that Rivers Cuomo has been gifted a, an orchestra to work with. Let's not... I absolutely do not want you to put Rivers Cuomo in the same realm Danny as Elfman? Danny no, Elfman. Exactly the same person. No, but but like, you know, that OK Humans album that came out this year was like getting this like this is the best thing they've recorded full stop. And I think it's because Rivers had a like 30 piece orchestra to like get the full concept of what was in his head out as opposed to being like. How do I do this giant idea with a drum, guitar, and bass? True. And I yeah. think that something similar happened with Danny Elfman where it's like, oh, now I have 60-something instruments to like get every nook and cranny of what is inside my brain when I'm thinking about these songs. Like, Once you told me how hard the Beetlejuice theme was becoming, <laughs> I started to listen to it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there's like 10 moving pieces happening at any given moment in this song. Okay, that's what I'm getting at is that when you go from thinking about like rock and roll arrangements and composition to more classical arrangements and compositions. It's not just like, okay, I've got more moving parts that I can utilize. It's like a completely different way to, like your brain works differently. And that's why I'm saying like, I just don't understand where that was hiding when he was in Oingo Boingo because I know for a fact that from my own musical maturation and journey when i was untethered from doing things in a live situation my brain started to work differently about melodies counter melodies you know like accompaniments things like that you know because because there are rules that you have to follow for pop music first of all and second of all to do anything live so when i started doing console crash i have always been a huge fan of baroque style classical music because it made my brain tingle in a weird way you know but 
learning how to write like that as a hobby, maybe that's the difference is that music is a hobby for me and I it, it's, it's recreation. Whereas for Danny Elfman, I feel like since he's been a musician his entire life, that his goals are different and his timelines are different. But I, yeah. I don't know, maybe he just squirreled himself away for a year and was like, I'm gonna learn how to do this thing. And then he popped up out of nowhere and he was like, okay, I can do this thing. I, I think that he's kind of a virtuoso <laughs> though. I mean, like I Probably. would never I, give myself that kind of credit, but I would definitely give Danny Elfman that credit. So Adam's family, beautiful score. First joke that came up that still makes me laugh just as hard as when I was a kid is the fucking Uncle Knickknack bit gets me every fucking time. It's like Uncle Knickknack's spring wardrobe, Uncle Knickknack's winter wardrobe, Uncle Knickknack. Just like piling up the bags in the closet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, so many- this, I specifically, you know, didn't take any notes this week because I was like, if I take notes, it's just going to be a quote fest and nobody wants that. Like, no. quote fests and, are and good for obscure shit, but like for yeah. the Adams Family, everybody can just come on a podcast and, and, and quote Adams Family. They do a really great job of just subtly through dialogue building up how fucking weird the entire like gene of being an Adams is. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of that is when they go into the vault and he's using the combo and he's like two... 10 and he's like waiting for fester to like answer and he's like seven he goes no old chap 11 eyes fingers toes (laughs) it's like such a great way to just put it out there that all of the adams family apparently has 11 and and it's also to me i always well not always but as an adult i always thought of that as like they're inbred. Yeah. Which <laughs> oh, is probably. really dark. Like, when you... The thing about the Adams Family that is so... Like, this gossamer strand of genius, this this amazingness, is that they if you made a list of all the fucked up things that they are, it wouldn't be funny or amusing at all. It no. would be disturbing. But when you wrap it up in such a cheerfully dreary package... When I watch this movie... When I watch anything Adam's family, I just want more. And I'm like, well, yeah. what what would be like this? What what could I watch after this? And and I have no idea because nothing is like this. There's one scene that has always stuck out of me as a kid because it was really disturbing to me, even <laughs> as a kid, which it is the dueling the bloody duel scene in the variety show. Because I think like when I saw this for the first time, it was when it first came out on VHS. So I was six or seven years old, and I don't think I totally grasped that it was special effects that they were supposed to be using. Oh my God, man. Well, no, no, no. I don't think that they actually maimed the kids, but at that point I had bought into the Adams are so fucked up that like Wednesday and Pugsley are actively chopping off each other's limbs for the stage show. Oh, you and it sweet wasn't until like child. the next scene, the next scene when they were perfectly fine and he had his arms, I was like, oh, okay, but I like didn't get what Fester had given them. So I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't like this. So I'm a couple years older than you, and and the first time I saw it, I don't rem- I honestly don't remember the first time I saw Adam's family because it's just so ubiquitous in my life. And I also don't understand how it could be ubiquitous in my life because I don't see my mom being like, yeah, we'll rent this. So much of my like horror stuff is it was they're on TV or something like that, that I got my first taste of it. But 
for Adam's family, I know that I, I asked to rent this because I just had to have. It's so weird because I was so afraid of horror, but I would watch all of this shit because like I was that kid who, I mean, we've talked about it on the show, but when I was like four or five, the only things I watched besides cartoons was fucking Beetlejuice and Monster Squad over yeah. and over and over again. It makes me think that there has to be something built into some people that, that we like horror. So like now that I'm like hanging out with my friend Lauren's kids, right? And like Lauren, she's listening to the show, I know for a fact. She just watched Friday the 13th for the first time this year. Lauren. Because like, Lauren. Wow. Because like, because us talking about horror is finally getting her in her like late 30s to start to dip her toe into like stuff that is kind of gory and mm -hmm. like she's just she's very against it but like she loves halloween and like her little kids love picking up giant skull heads and putting them on like they love the halloween stuff i was just thinking about like what is it what is it that that some of us are just instinctively drawn to the, the dark and spooky, and I don't have an answer. It's just one of those, I don't know. There was something that was said this week on Colors in the Dark. Elric was saying how he has a distinct memory of going on the Haunted Mansion ride for the very first time. And he's like, I was maybe five years old. And it's that opening scene where you're in the room and all the paintings are stretching. And then all of a sudden the lights cut out and there's a death rattle scream that you hear. And he's like, and it scared me. And then I couldn't stop laughing. And he's like, and I think that that was the first time that like my brain was like, it is fun to be scared. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's like little stuff like that where it's like, for me, what was my aversion to horror was a fear of fear. Yeah, I get it. Once once you get past the like, oh no, this is fun. Like like going but why on a is haunted ride fun? is fun. You know, like why is it fun? It's not fun to everybody. It's just, it's a personality it's, trait. It's not. It is a personality trait. I think for me, the way that I've explained it to people anyway, is like, I'm one of those people that wants to see the good in the world, obviously, but also is overwhelmed by the reality that like people can be shitty and like the world can suck and like awful things can happen all the time. And I think that horror, I think it's why I also don't like nihilistic horror that much. I think horror is such an escape of like mm -hmm. you put, it's almost like you're throwing yourself in the deep end of the pool and finding out that it's going to be okay. You yeah, know what I mean, like yeah. that's why you kind of root for the final girl because you want to put yourself in the shoes of a person where it's like even something this horrific, I could survive it. Yeah, and I could like move forward. This is and that's I think what that you that's say like the, in therapy about anxiety and panic attacks is like, yeah, yeah, I'm batting a thousand. I've I, I've survived every single panic attack of my life. Exactly. All right, I am very proud of this note that I wrote down. <laughs> I. I wrote, I love everything about the ball scene. Yes. It is the cantina and Jabba's palace of the Adams Family French. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Yes. Like, you just walk into this and it is just like, everything is insane for like 15 minutes. And it's so fun. But everybody thinks it's normal. Yeah, there's all these weird practical creatures all over the place and like, You've got like a two-headed woman and you've got cousin it and you've I also love how much the world just accepts thing. Like when thing gets a job delivering mail in an office and like 
it seems like people are not running away from the hand as much as they're running away from this fast-moving truck of mail that's yeah. cutting through the hall. Yeah. Your favorite character, Diggit Adams. is. <laughs> yeah, Diggit Adams. Oh, I have Diggit Adams written down. Diggit Adams is here. But then also you just have like the, the mamushka. Like that is going to, I will always think of the mamushka. Yeah. You, you got to dance the mamushka. I think at one point I asked Brian if we could figure out a way to do the mamushka at his wedding. <laughs> yeah. Throwing swords around. I was like, Brian, come on. I believe that if I th- toss a sword in the air, you could catch it in your teeth perfectly. <laughs> I feel like Brian's aversion to doing the mamushka has nothing to do with the swords and everything to do with being the center of attention more than he already has to be for his fucking wedding. That is, oh, he, that was the least, his least favorite part about the wedding was having to be in front of everybody. Yeah, same here. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not making fun of him. I, I'm saying. No, it's, it's the reality. Yeah. I mean, I probably. My wedding, I was. Be like, look at me. No. <laughs> push the, the bride aside <laughs> in every photo. <laughs> It's the St. Mort show, bitches, and you for the rest lady. of your life. Um, um, I want to say. Let me I, ask I, you. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say. Um, so Megan and I are do finally doing Morticia and Gomez this year as oh, as our costumes. I was like, okay, well, you know, as Gomez, I have to do the pinstripe suit because no one will know who you are if you're dressed up in the the smoking jacket from the ball scene but man it was a hard sell in my own mind and heart to not go with and and have the swords you know like it would have been you know maybe maybe i just do a cosplay of that for myself someday who knows i to this day even rewatching this movie i mean uh whatever i'll buy into it the twist of this movie has has always been a hard pill to swallow for me. That like it actually is fester this whole time, yeah. but like he's got amnesia. The dude. lie, like I'm just like this is just so it like because I'm also thinking like if you were the woman, I, I forget her name now, Dr. but the Pindershus. woman who found fester. <laughs> yeah, if you were her and you knew that this was how you discovered fester. Like you found this guy in the Bermuda Triangle with no memory who looks like a hulking monster. And they're like, hey, this family of human monsters are trying to find their long lost brother who's a hulking monster who got lost in the Bermuda Triangle. And he happens to look exactly like your son. You don't think that party would be like, it might be dangerous for me to send him in here <laughs> because she it might care. bring She's back gotta get something. that green, man. She's got to get that green, well, technically gold coin, but yeah. yeah as soon as I said it, I was like, it would roll off the tongue much better to say green, but I know that it's gold coins. It's doubloons, man. Doublooms. Doublooms. Well, the blooms. Oh, you know what? It's not your birthday anymore. I can make fun of the way you pronounce things again. Go for it. And then, but whatever, we get past it. It's Halloween. But the, here's the thing is, uh, before that, before we get past that, you need to get past it because it's hilarious. It's the no, absurdity it's of it. But as a kid, like literally as a kid, that was so outlandish to me that I'm like, oh, like lightning struck him. And now he just really believes he's faster. <laughs> like I still lightning struck him was like, and he actually is now electrified. He's shocked. Yeah. Like I'm like, I'm like this, this like imposter just like bought his lie Impostore. too deep. Like, that's another um, thing that's, but, that that is in the lexicon and actually from this film, <laughs> man. Uh, actually, this this film gave me I pronounce Bravo Brava because that's what I. It sounds like he's yelling when he's clapping in the. I'm pretty in the sure he is clapping and saying Brava. So what's so funny to me is that 
he's you know he'll be like Caramia, which is Italian. I don't think of the Adamses as Italian. I, I, no. I think of them as like Eastern European or something. But, yeah, but not Italian. if there were anything, I don't know. It would be like, that. It's all, yeah. like Hungarian or I don't know. It's they're the the old country kind of. That's the whole. That's the whole joke and mythos in my mind is like they are, you know, like the whole clan is from the old world and they're all monstrous. And it's just, yeah. it's so great. It's just, I, I love it so much. But if you could never rectify it actually being Fester, I could never, I could never rectify them actually being Italian. Yeah, there you go. But then the movie ends with the sweet, sweet sounds of MC Hammer's Adam's Groove. Not uh, a fan. They do what they want to do, say what they want to say, live how they want to live, play how they want to play. Yeah. <laughs> Just really sums up the Adams Family beautifully. You know, and I got to tell you, um, a little side note about this is that, about this movie, is that the, the time before me watching it for the show, for this episode, was a couple years back, right after my nephew was born. He had just come home from the hospital and his mom and dad needed to sleep. And so Megan and I went over and we rocked him in the, you know, like the baby rocking chair. And the first movie that he, well, maybe not the exact first, but the first movie that he experienced with Megan and I was The Addams Family. And if that boy does not turn out to be spooky as fuck in spite of his parents, I am going to have just, I just have to give in my uncle card because I yeah. want to be like your uncle Craig, right? Yeah. No, and I'm trying very hard to be that guy to every one of my friend's kids. Yeah, like, you can be a little weird and spooky. It's totally yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsie Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. All right, so double feature. I feel like you are more of the Adams historian than me, so I'm going to gift you the first double feature pick. I don't, but that's this is going back to what I was saying earlier on in the episode is like finding something that stylistically, like tonally fits with the Adams family is so hard. And I'm going to go with something that I would and probably have watched back to back in the past with Adams family. Although I don't necessarily think it's the best double feature. It's just the first thing that comes to mind for me because it's like a natural fit because mm -hmm. of the tone. Because I think that they are both spooky. There's a little, I mean, there's a lot more gore in the second one. They are, you know, gothy and they start Christina Ricci. I'm going to go with Sleepy Hollow. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to continue on the Christina Ricci train, but keep it as a kid's appropriate movie. 
and go right into watching Casper after this. You know, that makes sense for our personalities perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Very much so. All right, what's something that you watched, saw, listened to that you want to talk about? All right, let me get my list because I do have a lot. So, again, with the trying to stay positive thing, I have a question for you that is not a rhetorical. This is a legit question before I get into what, like, specifically what I watched. I feel like you have more experience with this than I do. Have you watched something that someone you know has made? And will you respect the person for making the product, but you realize that it has nothing for you in it? Scott, there's been multiple interviews on this feed. <laughs> where, I guess I'm not talking really, about just an interview. I'm yeah, talking about like where, someone that where, you know in real life. Oh, I know. But like there are people that like I have respected and actually walked away from the interviews liking quite a bit while still thinking that their movie's trash, but like my job was to do a good job promoting the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I definitely have had, I've lucked out for the most part with, I would say 95% of the time when I watch a movie that my friend has made, I am pretty satisfied with it. And I feel like they usually know when I don't like the movie that much because I won't message them and say too much about it. I'll just be like, hey, good job. Like, you know, like I'll keep it like simple. Well, I guess that might be a, a personality difference between the two of us because I don't think I'm as effusive as you are. And I also keep a lower profile on social. I feel like you have more spoons to give than I do. I have more spoons to give and that is concerned. There's a lot that goes into thinking about what I post. Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> like, I'm not trying like, to say that you shit post. Like, I'm saying that Oh, oh no, no, no. I mean like when I post something, I I very every word is meticulously thought about because I'm like how I want to make sure that whatever I post is almost unable to turn into a flame war somewhere in the comments. I think that people could see my posts and think that I am a very uninformed middle of the road person, but it's more just like, I don't want to deal with comments. So I'd rather say nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to, you want to say your piece. You want to, you, and then you don't want to have to argue or belabor the point. Exactly. I want to talk about a movie that I could not believe how much I enjoyed. And I feel like you won't roll your eyes, but maybe some listeners might roll their eyes because either they didn't like it or because they're like, how the fuck has Scott not seen this before? But I finally found Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was streaming on HBO Max. And I'm like, well, I've got nothing to lose. I'll just put it on as I'm working one day. And I put it on and 10 minutes in, I'm like, I I turned it off because I was like, I I can't just half-ass watch this. It was everything (laughs) I like about movies. It's, you know, I mean, it's so over the top and it's got costumes. It's historically completely inaccurate and it's got monsters. It's fantastic. It also has the guy that plays young Howard Stark in Agent Carter. And it's got the guy who plays Sam Wilson, you know, the, the Falcon. So I would say that Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is MCU adjacent. There you go. Perfect. I I think I've seen it, but I really genuinely don't remember. I know I had the book for a while. I would totally read that book because the the screenplay was written by the guy who wrote the book. So another Tim Burton 
produ- uh, producer credit. I mean, I, I, it's weird how much he's coming up because uh, on, this, on this episode because he's a terrible person. But Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is way better than it should be. I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. I was hanging out with my friend Rachel. Tim Burton might be like the definition of a absolute terrible person who also is like undeniably a talented visionary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it sucks. I feel like such a goddamn hypocrite with him because as far as music goes, I have always been like, you can't separate the artist from the art, you know? Like, I won't listen to Pantera because Phil Anselmo and Dimebag Daryl were fucking racists. Then I'm like, I love Sleepy Hollow. It's one of my top yeah, five favorite horror th- movies of all this time. Is, this is what I've landed on, and this is how I how I justify it. Whatever that person did, however fucked up or awful they are, they have no ownership of the nostalgia that their work has already left on you. So it's like, yeah, yeah. So it's like when I find out that someone's shitty, I can say, all right, well, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm not supporting any of their other work. But also like, if I'm going to deny myself, like if I deny myself watching Beetlejuice, which was such a comfort to me as a Mm -hmm. five-year-old kid because of how much of a piece of shit Tim Burton is, I'm almost giving Tim Burton more power <laughs> over than, than just being like, yeah. fuck it. This is important to me, and I'm going to continue to love this, even if I think you're a piece of shit. Are, are we financially supporting them or just like culturally, culturally supporting them? And yeah. and I, I'm not the person to make that decision. It's a tough judgment call. but Yeah. But anyway, I so what, that, what did I, you watch? Like, yeah, I, I know I steamrolled. That's, that's all right. No, it's there. fine. I, I'll keep it short. Brian yelled at me. <laughs> When I texted him about this the other day, but I, I finally watched the Mitchells versus the machines. Um, and I texted him and was like, Hey, have you ever seen this? And he's like, I fucking told you and Scott to watch that movie almost a year ago. Well, I, and I, I don't even know what that is. Is it a, is it a kid's movie or something? It's a kid's movie, but it's from the people who did into the spider verse. Oh. So it's done exactly like into the spider verse. Scott, tell me how much this sounds like the perfect movie for Matt Kelly. <laughs> The protagonist of the movie is a teenage girl who dreams of making horror movies. (laughs) Um, She is not popular at school because she spends all of her time with her little brother shooting these weird little movies with their toys and family dog. Um, And she's about to go away to film college and she can't wait to go there because she's got an overwhelmingly supportive mom and a father who doesn't understand her pursuits of the arts. Oh my God. (laughs) The dad in an effort to like try to bond with them takes them on a family road trip. He's like, instead of you flying to your new college, we're going to drive you to the college. And while they're on the road trip, a very Mark Zucker uh, slash Jeff Bay's type person (laughs) launches a new type of AI that immediately becomes sentient and captures all of civilization except for this family that is on a road road trip. trip. But it is so funny. It's so charming. The only other thing I wanted to mention, because it is spooky season, uh, the newest season of uh, the movies that made us dropped, Mm -hmm. it's got a very heavy horror focus. It's worth watching, but if you're like me and you've watched every fucking horror documentary that's ever been released <laughs> about your favorite movies, you're not going to break any new ground of information. There's not going to be a like, wow, I didn't know that Halloween was going to be called the babysitter murders. But if you're not like me and you haven't watched like 
going to pieces, the rise and fall of slasher films, nightmares in red, white, and blue, you know, Crystal Lake memories, never sleep again, etc. Uh, it is really cool that Netflix legitimately put out mini documentaries on like the making of Friday the 13th, the making of Halloween, the making of Nightmare on Elm Street, and the making of Alien. Coming to America's in there for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's worth watching a few of them if you've never seen those types of docs. But really, the big, like, Mitchells versus the Machines, I will be hard-pressed to think of a movie as we're down to the last two months of the year that will top it for my favorite film. Because, like, most of this year, I've been like, I don't, th nothing's really wowed me this year. Like, yeah. been, like, my absolute favorite. But that, I was like, I will be watching this very regularly. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned, uh, I, since we're already this far, I'm going to mention three more horror movies that were, I, I believe that they are 2021 horror movies. It's always weird to look on IMDb and see like a 2021 release, but you look on Wikipedia and it says it's a 2020 movie. I think that it has to do with releases in home countries versus worldwide things like that but i watched festivals festivals yeah i think actually i think that yeah. you're right it's festivals where they have them as quote-unquote release dates but i'm going to consider all three of these as 2021 movies and i watched them all this last week i'm not going to really say a whole lot except for the fact that none of them really wowed me i'm going to go in order of least to best watch but yeah. in the earth is streaming on hulu i want to say and it's one of those movies where nothing happens. And when okay. I was watching it, I was waiting for something to happen. And I was like, come on, come on. Like, you're going to give me the big Danim Why? You're going to, like, is it going to be a payoff? There's no payoff in it. It's one of those movies that has a cool concept and has really good sound work, but that doesn't make a good movie and the pacing sucked. So I would not recommend you watch that necessarily, but this is kind of like setting up for the fact that you're not wrong that 2021 is a pretty lean year for, for movies in general, but specifically horror. I watched Censor, which is a British film. Um, it's a period piece from, it's supposed to be like the video nasty, so early 80s in uh, England. Do you know about that? I Censor has actually been sitting on my like Netflix DVD list, but if that's streaming somewhere, I will remove it and go watch it streaming. Yeah, I think that was, I think that was Hulu. I think that if you look at it as a historical fiction, it's fun, but yeah. it's it's not the worst thing I've watched this year, let me tell you. But I just didn't yeah. love it and I was expecting that I was expecting more from it. And then the the best of the three is called Meander. Have you heard about it? It's like a sci fi horror movie. No. So it's kind of like Cube meets Jacob's Ladder. Okay. But it's so it's a French film and the it has three actors in it. It's it. It's this woman who wakes up in this maze it's like a maze of very skinny tunnels and she has to and she has like a a, a thing on her wrist that uh, it's a timer that gives her x amount of minutes to get to basically a safe spot or else she's going to get incinerated or burnt in acid or blah 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 it's very claustrophobic which so it made me feel things and that's what i appreciate about it but I don't think it even knew what it was trying to say, and it's very heavy-handed. It's it's like very moralistic, and it's trying to say something, but I just don't think it says anything. But I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate that it made me feel tense, and there is a scene that kind of got me a little choked up because this past week I was really missing our dog Petey that passed away a year and a half ago. You know, I, don't, I think it might have been a, like kind of a confluence yeah. of, of, of things, but they just, 
2021 may redeem itself with Halloween Kills, Lamb, Antlers, you know, stuff that's coming out at the tail end, that last this last two months of the year, it, you know, maybe it's a lot of that stuff. It's it's been such a weird year because I think so much stuff just got held up because they were like, yeah. is it safe to open the theaters? Is it not safe? And like you had these small films that they didn't give a shit about, so they'd just be like, Fuck it, just throw it on streaming. But yeah. then there was stuff like Halloween Kills where they're like, No, like we really want to wait until like people feel at least a little comfortable going into a movie theater to mm-hmm. to watch this. All right. Sorry that last week's episode, um, I'm sure you caught a little bit of it. I had some really fucking awful mic issues, so you got a really short Halloween six episode. We've made it up for you with this episode of Adam's Family. You're welcome. Don't bitch about <laughs> us about episode lengths anymore. But we'll be back next week with even more horror movie night fun. Happy Halloween. listening to the Geekscape Network. 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.